time you spend with Jesus, okay, if you're actually hearing what he has to say, it's like a detox from the toxic thinking of this world. So, it, it, detox with Jesus, if that's what's in your mind as we think about this section of Scripture, great. Um, but we've, we've been in this section, and the ending of the Gospel of John is really unique in comparison to the way the other Gospels ended. So, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, there's different versions of it, but what you find is Jesus gives this great commission. So, right before, so he's already, he's, he's, he's died, he rose again, he's about to ascend into heaven to be with the Father, and he gives this great commission to his followers. He says, now go, go into all the world and make disciples. So, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to follow my ways. Okay, th- that's the great commission. And it's, it's general. So, in the other Gospels, Jesus gives this general commission of what our job as his followers is supposed to be. And so that, that actually helps us as we gather as the church and we're like, what's the purpose of, of being the church? What's the purpose of gathering and worshiping Jesus? It's, it's first and foremost to have a relationship with God, but then to introduce other people to this relationship with God. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's this general go into all the world commission Jesus gives. In John's gospel, though, G- Jesus, this is, and I love the way that uh, John writes about this, he gets really personal. So, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is dealing with Peter and then this other guy in the Gospel of John that's known as the beloved disciple. He's not actually named, okay? So, most people believe it's John. But if you, if you read the Gospel of John, he's never actually named. So, there's these two disciples. There's Peter and there's this beloved disciple. And what you find in John, especially in the last few chapters, there seems to be this rivalry between Peter and the beloved disciple. And you can imagine why. So if you've got a group of, of people that have been following Jesus around for three years, and one of them is known as the beloved, don't, don't you think that might create a bit of a rivalry? So you've got all these people, and they're like, Jesus is this incredible person. He's healing people, and he preaches uh, to mass amounts of people, and they're hanging on every word, and he's doing all these incredible things. And all these guys, they want to be close to Jesus. They want to be, like, really tight with him. And one of them gets the title the beloved disciple, the one Jesus loved, right? Can you imagine how that might create a little bit of a rivalry? You, everybody wants to be close to Jesus, but one guy. And the guy, by the way, that, that, that made that title is the guy that wrote the story. You, you're kind of catching this now, okay? So you've got in the Gospel of John this, this beloved disciple, the disciple Jesus loved, okay? He says it, and we're going to read it in here. He says he's the one that wrote this Gospel, and he uses this title, the disciple Jesus loved. So Peter's kind of the more well-known disciple. He's the one that everybody knows because he, he's willing to say whatever. Uh, and, and he's really close to Jesus. And you, what you see in Peter is you see somebody who wants to be really close to Jesus. But then there's this other guy who's the disciple Jesus loved, right? So there's this, there's this rivalry. I got a picture up here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go with my sister uh, visit her in Alaska. So I, I asked her to take a picture zoomed out so that you can just barely see me, but you can kind of see the background here. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Dave and I have this thing, and I, and I say it to my son Malachi too. So my sister lives in Alaska. She's two years younger than I am. Um, if you've read the book, Like Father, Like Son, she's the one that wrote that book. And uh, she married uh, an Air Force pilot who's stationed in Alaska. 
And she's got a pretty big Instagram following and a TikTok following because she posts all these nature videos. And it's at least once every other week she posts a video that makes me drool a little bit, okay? So she'll post some epic video of this crazy place that she's been, and I'll talk to her, and she's like, oh, yeah, that's just like an hour from my house. Like, we just decided to go hiking for the day. And it's always like just super casual. It's like, oh, whatever, right? And so I, t- I, I mentioned it to Dave a lot. Dave's my, like, hiking buddy. We do all these things together. And, and Malachi and I will be like, oh, did you see that Alicia's video? Like, so annoying, right? Um, so anyways, I, I joke about that, about this, like, being jealous a little bit of, of my sister. And I'm, I'm like, mostly joking, okay? There, there's a little, bit of, a little bit of jealousy. And even being there, um, I got to visit her in, in her little hometown, and it was such a, like, I got to see all the things I only see on video. And I remember one time, um, so I went to Walmart while I was there. And uh, last year, first time it happened was a couple years ago, um, I FaceTimed my sister, and she was in the Walmart parking lot, and she answers the phone, so she's, like, talking to me, and there's these mountains in the background. She's like, oh, I'm just at Walmart. I was like, shut up, you're not, that's Walmart, right, like seriously, and so I actually got to go visit that, that Walmart, and it was a pretty cool experience, these huge, like, mountains in the background, um, I, so I joke about that, but I just want to ask, like, in a serious way, are there people you're really jealous of in your life, okay, you don't have to answer this out loud, but I just want you to think about this in your own thinking, in your own mind and heart. Are there people who you see their career and you're jealous of their career? Are there, are there people that you see, maybe you have a family and you see other people's family and you're jealous of, of their family? Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe you're married. Are there people that you look at their marriage and you go, I just wish I had a marriage like that. If only I had a marriage like that. God obviously must love them more because look at their marriage. Is there this, have you, do you have this temptation towards rivalry or income? Are there people that you look at the amount of money they make and it just, you can't help but feeling jealous? Maybe you don't actually say it out loud, but there's this jealousy. Or is there people whose lifestyle makes you jealous? You look at their lifestyle and you're like, I just wish I had that. And, and with that, Okay, so maybe there's this jealousy, a temptation to it, but with that, often, if you're a follower of Jesus, the second thought that often comes in is, well, God must love them more. They must be doing something better than me. They must be getting something right in order to have the things that I wish that I had, right? Is this something that some of us struggle with? I'm going to pray before we jump into reading this, because I really believe that this message specifically is something that's going to relate probably to all of us. I think we all wrestle with this. And, and I, the reason John ended his gospel this way, he did it on purpose. He was led by God's Holy Spirit to do this. And, and, and the ending of each gospel is so important because it's this commission. Jesus gives this commission to the church. But in John, Jesus knows that in order for these guys who he's commissioning to go and be effective with the call he's putting on their lives, they're going to have to deal with some of these heart issues if they're going to actually be effective. And the same is true for us today. So I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then we're going to, we'll get into, the, we'll read this passage. Lord, I just want to thank you for, for your word. I want to thank you for how 
you speak into our lives. Lord, you, you are the one who knows what's going on in the heart and mind of every single person in this room. I don't. But Lord, you've put this really powerful story in the Gospel of John for a reason and for a purpose. And, and Lord, I believe that there's some of us, you want to deal with our hearts today. You want to deal with our minds. You want to give us freedom from some of the thinking that actually holds us back. You want to give us freedom from some of the thinking that is a distraction. And so, Lord, help us to hear you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read John chapter 21, starting in verse 18. We'll read it to the end, which is uh, verse 25. So remember, the, the last uh, time that I preached from John, so this was three weeks ago now, we talked about Jesus' conversation with Peter. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him that question three times. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And each time Jesus says, so go feed my sheep. And we talked about how Jesus was restoring Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times. He felt like a failure. He felt like he'd blown it. And then when he meets Jesus on the beach, okay, if you want to go back and read the context, he meets Jesus on the beach, and Jesus repeatedly asks him, Peter, do you love me? And then he says, so feed my sheep. So go, go feed my sheep. Go, you know, tend the flock that I've given you. Care for the people that I've given you. Point them to me, right? So he's giving this commission to Peter. This is the powerful conversation Jesus has with him, and it's, it's profound and it's powerful. And, and he moves from that. That would have been a pretty good ending to the Gospel of John because in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, there is this commissioning. Jesus restores Peter. He forgives him for his biggest blunder. He removes shame from his life. He does this incredible work in the heart and the mind of Peter, and then he gives him his purpose. He says, now go feed my sheep. Go. Go do it. He gives him his life purpose, his life call. It would have been a really good ending to the gospel of John, except that there was one more issue Jesus knew needed to be dealt with in the heart and the mind of his followers. So verse, verse 18, chapter 21, John, this will be up on the screen. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, He's talking to Peter. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Pretty sobering words from Jesus, right? So he's just given Peter his life's call, and then he hints at how Peter's going to die, right? Verse 20, Peter turned, and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So the first lesson in this that I want to point out is, and you can put this up on the, on the slide, Andrew, don't be distracted by someone else's awesomeness, okay? 
So Jesus is having this really personal, intimate conversation with Peter, and he's just given Peter his, his life's purpose and goal, and Peter cannot help himself. He says, well, Lord, and, 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 I, and I imagine John, so they're on the beach, okay? And so what I'm imagining as the scene is unfolding here is they've had their fish, and Peter had this conversation with Jesus, you know, do, do you, Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, now go feed my sheep. So they're, they're kind of off, they're walking, okay? So I'm imagining Jesus and Peter, they're off walking, and this disciple that Jesus loved, he's kind of lingering behind them, okay? He's just there in the background, right? And then Jesus looks at Peter, and he gives him this, this incredible word about his life, and then he, he kind of even hints at how Peter's going to die. So Peter's feeling a bit unsettled because he's like, what, what do you mean, like, people are going to lead me around in a place I don't want to go? And he's uncomfortable with what Jesus had just said. So then all of a sudden, this feelings of jealousy come up, and he sees, we're going to call him John, okay, because John is the name of the gospel, but he sees this disciple Jesus loved, and Peter looks at him and he goes, well, what about him? Because as soon as Peter finds out, I'm He's going to face hardship, and he's going to face trials, and he's going to face difficulties. He looks over at this disciple who everybody's like, oh, Jesus loved him the most. And he can't help himself, and he's like, well, what about, what about that guy? And Jesus is so brilliant because he doesn't even calm Peter's nerves. He doesn't even say, oh, no, he'll die too, or, oh, it's going to be hard for him too. Like, the way Jesus responds to Peter is so profound. He says, it doesn't matter. Like, don't be distracted with my call on his life, I've given you a call on your life. So don't be distracted by, you, you might think this guy's life is better, maybe he'll write more books, maybe he's better looking, maybe he's faster. You know, a couple chapters ago, um, it's pretty clear that John outran Peter to the tomb and he writes about it in the gospel. Maybe he's fast, you've got all these better things. And Jesus says, like, don't be distracted by that. I've given you a call, do that. You know, one of the most disturbing parables that Jesus told for me personally is the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from it. Uh, Jesus says, for it will be like, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he says, it'll be like a man going away on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. So in the parable of the talents, as a reminder, Jesus tells this story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is kind of like this. You've got this master. He's going on a trip, and he chooses three of his servants, okay? And he gives them all. And, and a talent, by the way, was, was a, a, a unit of money. So it probably represented about 20 years' wages, okay? So this master's going away, and he, and he calls together his servants. And to one of them, he gives five talents, okay? Five times 20 years' wages. That's 100 years' wages worth of money. So before he goes, he says, okay, I'm going to give you this big sum of money. I want you to do something with it, and then when I come back, you can report, okay? And the other guy um, gives him two talents, and then one guy gets one. And, and the reason this parable is so disturbing for me is because, and you know this if you've, read, if you've read the story, the guy that only gets one talent, he's so intimidated that he does nothing with it. And what's bothered me was I was like, that's kind of the way life feels, doesn't it, for us? We look at these people that produce all kinds of good things, and they're better than us, maybe better looking, more skills, more abilities, whatever it is. We look at all these people, and we see how they're just more gifted, and it makes us shrink back and want to do nothing. Whenever I've read that parable, I've thought, it just seems so unfair that, that Jesus would make the guy that got the least amount the one that buried it, and he's the one that gets rebuked. Okay, so if you read the whole parable, 
this guy that did nothing with his talent. He's the one that gets the harsh rebuke from his master. I always thought, oh, this just doesn't seem fair. Like, I think the, the guy that got the most should be the one that fails. <laughs> like, you know, because we, we kind of feel like that. You know, we, we, people that we consider as above us, we, we kind of want to see them stumble sometimes. Maybe it makes us feel better about ourselves. But you know what I think Jesus was getting at with this parable? There's two, and I think I made a slide for this, Andrew. I'm convinced that we have this tendency, okay? So there's, there's two reasons why we don't do the thing God has asked us to do. The first is that we're afraid of making the same mistakes as people that have gone before us. So sometimes we have that fear. We see mistakes that people have made, so we don't want to step out in faith. So we hold back. We don't do the thing God has asked us to do. Secondly, we're intimidated by people who are highly gifted and capable. So there's a couple reasons why we do nothing with what God has given us, right? So it's fear of making the mistakes we've seen other people make. Or we just look around and we see these people that they've got more ability, more talent, more skills, and we think, well, I'll just have nothing to contribute. But you know, that's what Jesus is dealing with in Peter. Before he actually, before Jesus ascends to be with God and he's sending Peter out, he's dealing with this issue of this rivalry, this jealousy in Peter's heart because he knows that will cripple you, Peter. And in this parable of the talents, Jesus, it's the same thing. The reason that the guy that only got the one talent is the one that gets rebuked is because I think probably most of us, we relate more with the guy that got the one talent, don't we? Aren't we all aware of the people that are more skilled, have more ability, are more effective at whatever it is? Like, we're so aware of that, and, and that makes us want to shrink back. We're like, well, I can't do it as good as the next guy. And so Jesus, in his parable, he's saying, no, don't, don't do that. And, and you know, if you, if you read the parable carefully, Jesus is not more happy with the guy that got the most talents than he is with the guy that got the second most. All he's happy with was, you did something with what I gave you. So if you're, if you're a guy that has the one talent and you produce a little bit and you're standing beside the guy that got the ten talents and, you know, he produced a lot, Jesus is not more happy with the one that produced the more. He's just happy that you did well with what was given to you. And so don't be distracted by someone else's awesomeness because that distraction will cause us to pull back and be like, well, I have nothing to contribute. I have nothing I can, you know, look at all these other people that have these great marriages and have all this money and have all this talent and all this skill. And Jesus is saying, no, don't be distracted. Like, what is it that I've given you? Go and be effective with that. And just to apply this to us, I just want to encourage you in your, as I was preparing this message, I just thought about people's marriages, thought about, I'm thinking about us in this room, not talking to the whole world, I'm just thinking, us in this room, like, where are you at in your marriage? Do you look at the marriages of other people and envy that, and does that make you shrink back from investing in your own? And just to be vulnerable, I'll, I'll tell you that, that that's a real struggle, I think, for, for all of us, for me in, in particular. I read books of, of people that, you know, they're talking about their marriage, they're talking about the way they serve, and I'm like, man, look at, look at all these things. And it's so easy to give into this temptation of seeing someone else's effectiveness and being distracted by it, and then to shrink back and not to be faithful with what it is God has given you, with what God has given me. Ministry, career, are there, are there people's careers that are a distraction so you, you just kind of shrink back and you feel discouraged in what God's called you to do? Family, income, health. Jesus' words in, in verse 22 of what we read are so convicting because when, when Peter says, well, what about, what about this beloved disciple? Jesus says, well, if it's my will that he remains, what is that to you? Secondly, 
And this is, this is uh, I think this is really going to hit home. When Jesus is unclear, focus on what is clear, okay? So when Jesus is unclear, and I, I was actually trying to figure out a better way to say this, and I think if there was like a five-talent guy preaching this message, it'd probably be a lot more cleaner than that, okay? Um, <laughs> that, like, uh, so I'll explain what I mean by that, okay? So when Jesus is unclear, focus on what is clear. In verse 22, which I just quoted, Jesus says, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So in response to Peter's question, so Peter says, what about, what about him? What about this beloved disciple? And Jesus gives a really unclear answer, okay? If it's my will that he remain, what is that to you? You follow me. And then the next verse, in verse 23, says, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. He said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So do you know what happened <clears throat> because of this comment? There was a group of people that actually believed that John, okay, because most people believe the, the, the author of this was John, was going to live until the return of Christ. Okay, there's actually been, we talked about this on Tuesday morning at our prayer group, there's actually been books written where people have written about how John has been alive for the last 2,000 years, okay? The, this guy's, you know, that was what Jesus said, so he, he must be alive for But you know what happened here is that people focused on the unclear part of what Jesus said and became distracted by it, and they missed the main point of what he was saying, which was very clear. So people heard Jesus say, well, if I want to leave him around until I come back, what is that to you? So this like idea developed in the mind of the followers of, of Jesus that this guy was going to, he wasn't going to die like everybody else. And do you know that when, when the Apostle John did die, it actually shook the faith of a lot of people? Most scholars believe uh, that the, the Gospel of John, okay, um, was written by, by John the Apostle, but he had a group of people around him, okay? It, it was written within the context of community. Uh, and after his death, they wanted to make sure when this gospel was being penned that it was clear that Jesus didn't say John was actually going to live until Jesus came back. So that's why that line ended up in the gospel of John, just to bring clarity to the fact that that's not what Jesus said. But do you know what that highlights? This relates to you and I. We have a tendency to focus on things that don't matter quite as much. So the, those followers of Jesus, do you know what? Like the ones that got confused thinking John was going to live forever... They missed the message. You know what the message here is that Jesus is trying to say? Like right before he goes to ascend to be with the Father, he's saying, don't be distracted by each other. Don't let what you think is great in John's life be a distraction to what I've called you to do. Jesus refused to answer Peter's question. He says, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm not going to indulge you because I've given you a very clear call. It doesn't matter what I've called John to. Doesn't matter how many books John writes, doesn't matter how good looking he is, doesn't matter how fast he is. Yes, he's faster than you, Peter. Sorry about that. Okay, that's in the God, right? That was cleared a couple chapters ago. Doesn't matter, but Jesus is saying to him, it doesn't matter. That doesn't distract you from what I've called you to do. You know, we uh, I was talking to uh, John Elric about this on Tuesday night. We we're talking about <coughs> um, creation. We we're talking about the 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 debate in the church about the age of the earth. Okay, uh, and I, I was like getting ready for this sermon, and I was like, I couldn't get that conversation out of my mind. And uh, back in 1600, there was a guy named James Usher, who got he he went into Genesis and he started adding up the ages 
of the patriarchs and all the people. And he came up with a number. This was around 1650 of what he thought the age of the earth is. Okay, so he, he assumed, okay, so back then he would have assumed it was like five and a half, six thousand years old. Uh, and ever since then, this is only a few hundred years ago, there's been this huge debate in the church about whether the earth is six to ten thousand years old or whether it's 40 billion years old. Okay? Because, you know, a couple hundred years ago when people started investigating and, you know, Darwin came on the scene, started talking about evolution, there's all this conversation in the world about the age of the earth. And then within the church, what happened was people started arguing about, well, if the Bible's really true, you have to believe it's only 10,000 years old. And then there was other people in the church that were like, no, the Bible doesn't actually say that. Uh, and, and there was all these debates. And, and I've actually seen some really nasty things come out of some of those debates. And I couldn't get that out of my mind when I was thinking about this, our tendency towards distraction. You know that the Bible, was, it, did never, it never had the intent to tell us anything about the age of the earth. The whole story of creation, if you read it carefully, the point of it is to show us that there's a creator who created this universe, that he created mankind, okay, and that we rejected him, we rebelled against him, and ever since, he's been working towards restoration. Now, the whole age of the earth thing, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation. I'm not even making any comment on, on one side or the other, but what I know from studying Scripture is that the, the Bible actually never set out to answer that question specifically. But it's become a distraction. And I just imagine God looking at his children. He's like, why are you, why are you cutting at each other over this question? <clears throat> why is this something that you're, you're fighting over? The point of the story of creation was to reveal to you there's a creator of this universe. That, that it's possible to have a restored relationship with the creator of the entire universe. And, and instead, we get distracted with something that wasn't the intention of what was being written. And it's the same thing here. So we, we have a, uh, I want you to hear this, I didn't make this a slide, but we have a tendency to speculate on what is unclear and then to ignore what is very clear. So in this conversation with Jesus and his followers, there was this tendency for them. They, they held on to these words of Jesus where he kind of made it sound like John might live forever, and they focused on that. Instead of hearing the heart of the message, which was, don't be distracted by your brother. Don't be distracted by what's going on in his life. Don't be distracted by how awesome he or she might look. Don't be distracted by how awesome their marriage is, their finances, their abilities, their skills. Like, don't, don't let that be a distraction. God's given you this very clear call, and it's so vital and important that you go and live that out. The Gospel of John is so personal. Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of John, makes things so personal. It's not just this general call to go and make all disciples. He knows each, each one of us has issues in our heart that could actually distract us from God's call on our lives. And I'm convinced that you and I are probably more like Peter than we realize. That there's probably people in our lives that are a distraction to us, and we allow that distraction to make us feel intimidated, to make us feel insecure, to make us pull back, and we don't live into who God's called us to be. And so Jesus' words to Peter and John are actually words to you and I today. Lastly, you and I, we are the beloved disciple. Verse 24 uh, says this. It says, this is the disciple, so the, the person writing the gospel of John, okay? Uh, 
says this. This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Everybody from around this time would have known who John was, okay? And I'm, I'm going to say John. I believe that John was the one that wrote the Gospel of John. But it's really worth looking into as to why did John not name himself? Why did he use this, type, this title, the disciple Jesus loved? Because everybody around that time would have known who he was referring to. Because this wasn't a book written in private and then just like published and no one knew. Like this was a public document. Everybody around would have known. So why was he cryptic? Why does, why does he use this title, the disciple Jesus loved? I want to suggest, I, I don't believe John, at the end of his life when he's writing this gospel, I don't believe that he thought he was more loved by Jesus than anyone else. I, uh, yeah, I, we were talking about this on Tuesday morning, and Aylen, I don't know if Aylen's here this morning or not, maybe not, but she was just saying, she's like, don't you, sometimes, she's looked around the room, and we were just all like in prayer, and she said, don't you feel like you're the one that's most loved by God? So sometimes when you're talking to Him, and you're having conversations with God, and you just, uh, it's really special, and you feel, you feel His presence, like, don't you sometimes just feel like you're just the one He loves the most? And there wasn't any, there wasn't any arrogance in it. Aylen's one of the more loving people that I know. So she wasn't saying, well, he loves me more than he loves you, Nathan. I mean, she would say that to me as a joke, right? But, but, she, but it, was, it was beautiful. And you know what I think John's getting at here is he uses this, this title, the disciple Jesus loved, not to set himself above the other disciples, but because for any one of us that are followers of Jesus, we are the disciple Jesus loved. Like, if, if you, this morning, are a follower of Jesus, you are the beloved disciple. This, this was left out. The, the name of the disciple in the Gospel of John is left out on purpose so that those hearing this Gospel would get to the end and go, that's, that's for all of us. Like, that's the title for all of us, that as you follow Christ and you you say yes to Him and you, you, you allow His work to happen in your life, in your heart, in your mind. Like, you're, you just r- realize, like, you are His beloved. Do you know that when you pray? Like, when you spend time with Jesus and you're praying, like, do you know that He just loves you deeply? You know, to think about the story we just talked about with Peter, like, Peter, he did go and face death earlier than John. And it was a pretty violent death. But Peter's last words before he faced death were so faithful. He, he had come to this revelation of the love of God in his life, and he said, I, I don't care if I die in the here and the now. I'm going to be with Jesus for all eternity. There's, it's profound, and it's rich. And, and if you continue to follow Jesus, you, you come into this realization that you're so deeply loved by Him. I, I, have, I, I, don't even, I don't have any doubt that what John was communicating was he, was he was revealing to those listening the kind of relationship that's available to all of us. He was, there wasn't in him, he wasn't trying to elevate himself. It was an invitation into this beautiful relationship with God the Creator. And so whatever it is that you face, and, and maybe there's people in your mind that you're, you, you're thinking of and you have a tendency to be jealous of and there's this rivalry and you think of their marriage or you think of their career or you think of how much money they make or you think of how easy their life is or whatever it is. It's so easy to, to let those thoughts 
distract you from what God's called you to do. And if you're hearing Jesus this morning, Jesus is saying, don't be distracted by that. I've given you a specific life. I've given you a specific uh, income and job and family and place where you live. And I want you to thrive in the midst of that. Don't be distracted by someone else's life that you look at and go, well, must be nice. I mean, for me, looking at my, like, must be nice, Alicia, that you can go and go on a mountain and behind Walmart, right? Like, God must love you to put you, you know, like, that is a distraction that causes sometimes discouragement and it causes inactivity. But what God is saying is He's inviting us into this relationship where He's saying, live into the call that, that He's placed on your life with this contentment, but also with trust. Trust in Him. I'm invite, we're going to close with a couple songs and invite the team up. And uh, I'm just going to put the last slide up, Andrew. The, the lessons we learn as we bring this series to a close, I just want to remind us, don't, don't be distracted by someone else's awesomeness. When Jesus is unclear, focus on what is clear. Rather than focusing on things that, yeah, it could be this way, it could be that way. Like, God has given us clear message, messages in the Scriptures that are so abundantly clear. They're so black and white. And, and we do have a tendency to focus on some of the things that aren't as clear and to be distracted by those. Focus on what is clear. And then lastly, I just want to encourage you, um, next time you're just in prayer when it's just you and Jesus, just thank Him that He loves you. Like, just receive His love. This was intentional. John, John put this in the gospel to invite you and I into this relationship of just being God's beloved. And I just encourage you to receive that. Maybe, maybe you haven't thought about that a whole lot. Maybe you're tempted to think about how much God loves other people. And you're tempted to see their life and lifestyle and ministry, calling, whatever, and be distracted by that. But just... When next time you have an opportunity and you're just praying, just thank God for how much He loves you and just rest in that. Rest in His love and His grace for you, knowing that you are His beloved. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for...